Welcome to this learning experience where we're going to enjoy getting to grips with the System 7 message approach to delivering training. Our approach will empower you to enjoy training more and you'll be able to get your point across faster with participants having a much better recall and a deeper understanding of the value of what you're proposing. Learning is just so simple and straightforward when we follow a seven-step approach to structuring the experience. All you'll need to remember is the word message and then all the other key points will be easy to recall from that point onwards. Message is what we call a mnemonic acronym that spells out the approach. So one by one the letters stand for M, representing mindset, getting into a great state of mind for learning. E, representing entrance, entrance to our thoughts through the gateways of the senses. The first S, for share ownership, the key to empowering learners. The second S, for store, as in storing the memories ready for action. A, for action itself, taking action that builds both competence and confidence. G for go again over the memory traces, strengthening the good new habits. And the final E for engage, representing the way we make commitments to future action. So let's explore together the System 7 message model phase by phase. Phase one is mindset and mindsetting. I affectionately know this phase as the United States of Accelerated Learning, simply because you can learn best when you are in a positive state. So why United? Well, it's not just the learner's state of mind that counts. We've all been positively influenced, I hope, by an educator, a teacher or a trainer who was so passionate about their subject. This often results in us being turned on to a subject that formerly didn't interest us. So the United States refers to the three states that need to be united and paid attention to. The state of mind of the learners, our own state of mind as influencers, and the state of the learning environment. Dealing with these in reverse order, have you ever tried to think straight when there are loads of distractions? It's very hard to do this. We know that environmental factors really help or really hinder the speed of information transfer. Practically then, this means you encouraging your learners to have their phones on silent and to schedule at least 20 minute time slots for learning without interruption. Wherever possible, they will also need a physical posture break every 45 minutes. A good break time being four minutes because having a brain break every 45 minutes has proven itself to be really effective in our training. We now call it Club 45 and invite everyone to join. So why do the learners need a physical break? Well, it's all to do with the levels of attention. If they've been looking at the screen without varying their focus or their physical posture, at least two things will be happening to hinder learning. Firstly, their eye muscles will be suffering from fatigue. Our eye muscles need to vary their focal length from time to time, from near to far. Secondly, our antitoxin system, the lymphatic system, works best by flushing out natural poisons that build up in our bodies after time. 
This flushing can only happen through physical exercise or deepening our breathing. We don't fidget every 45 minutes. The poisons build up in our neck regions and our hips, making learning become associated with being a pain in the neck, or even worse. If I may, I'd love to show you an excellent physical exercise to do in this break. This exercise will flush out the toxins and will reset the learner's levels of attention. I'd ask you to put your thumb up on one hand and your little finger out on the opposite hand. You notice my thumb is up here but my other fingers are curled in. My little finger is out but everything else is curled in on the other hand. Now this necessarily involves stimulation of both sides of your brain because this posture is controlled by this hemisphere and this posture is being controlled by this hemisphere. Especially when I ask you to swap them over, like this. Now that may look easy on the camera, but uh, <laughs> I've had some practice. That wakes up both sides of your brain. Fantastic. There's much more we can do in any environment to enhance the chance of naturally successful learning. Much learning happens in an environment that suffers from sensory deprivation. It may be too grey or have flickering fluorescence. Encouraging your learners to add sensory enrichment to their environment has a surprising impact. This includes all the obvious matters for our attention, such as fresh air, natural light and a pleasant scent, ergonomic seating and protection from distracting sounds. Of course, this is not always possible, which is why taking regular brain breaks is not only vital, but also a good alternative where the physical environment cannot be changed. Taking regular breaks reboots the system and restores our energy levels. We know from psychological and neurological research that people learn best in a low-threat, high-energy environment and where they feel relaxed physically, but alert mentally. You can help sculpt this state of mind through your recommendations and careful use of language. Recommending the use of ergonomic seating and keyboards, appropriate lighting and the other environmental factors mentioned earlier will help the learners relax and be comfortable yet stay alert. Your own use of positive, affirming and empowering language will help get the mood of low threat high energy. This is the second state of our three United States of Accelerated Learning, the state of the learners. So give some thought as to how you can come across as enthusiastic, yet not threatening. The really good news for you is that you really make the most difference. There is a phenomenon in physics and in biology called entrainment. This causes organisms and physical objects to resonate in synchronised rhythm. Well, what does that mean? Well, this is why you pick up phrases and accents of those people around you you most closely associate with. Fundamentally, your state of mind is contagious and in a good way. When the learners like you, they'll get in sync with you. So you must do whatever it takes to become passionate about your subject without being overly emotional. You must convey absolute confidence in your product, absolute confidence in yourself, and absolute confidence in your content. You must learn to enjoy the sense of power that naturally comes from knowing your subject inside out. When you project this, your learners will attain the ideal state for beginning the learning process. Confidence in themselves, confidence in you. 
Furthermore, you can realise that you can set the pace for the group and not vice versa. You become the leader. So now we're ready for the second phase. We've laid the foundation of being in a good mindset and having the ideal mind setting. M moves through to E, E for entrance, through the gateways of all the senses. There are only five gates through which learning content may gain access to our minds. These are the five gateways of the senses. What we see, what we say, what we hear, what we smell, what we taste, what we feel. These construct our sense of what is true, of what is real, of what is useful. At the entrance stage, we must take care of two important matters. Firstly, we may layer the senses. Secondly, the style we use to frame access to the information. Imagine one as the quantity of the doors the information can flow in through, and the other as the size of the frame. This means there are only two key words you need to remember during this phase, format and frame. Format or formatting is the number of senses we use to get our message over the threshold and frame or framing is the way we communicate our content. You may have heard this phrase, it's not the jokes folks, it's the way you tell them. So format is the structure of the joke, framing is the way you tell the joke. So let's deal with the format first, the senses. This is so exciting. The more senses you use to convey your content, the more it literally makes sense. If you use sight, sound, touch, taste and scent, the learning will make sense. If you use only one of those sensory channels, the learning may be perceived literally as nonsense to those learners who do not share your chosen delivery style as their primary sensory input style. So let me expand. You will naturally use all of your senses to make sense of any new opportunity or to make sense of any new learning. However, you will also have a favourite sense. For many people, this is either the sense of sight or the sense of touch. If seeing is your preferred first choice for learning as a trainer, you also will then have the tendency naturally to show people how to do things using lots of visuals. It works for you, so you give it to others. This is fine for those learners who share your preference, but hard for others whose first choice for learning is hands-on or listening. This means the more ways you teach, the more learners you will reach. We must deliberately choose to think about how we can convey content visually, sonically, and ideally physically. Layering is the key word for formatting your learning content. How can you make it visually rich? How can you enhance the sound content? Can you get them to do something? To have a truly hands-on experience? Whilst it's rarely possible to add the senses of scent and taste, we can easily build learning that includes sight, sound and touch. This has been so well known for many thousands of years that it's found expression in a really good ancient Chinese proverb that says, I hear, I forget. I see, I remember. I do, I understand. Socially and technologically, this is so important that it caused the song lyric, Video Killed the Radio Star, to resonate with many of us.
It's also why graphical user interfaces such as Windows have had a far more positive impact than using lines of text or lines of code. So pause, reflect and ask yourself, what can I show them? What sound bites can I use to make my point? What can I ask them to do? For inspiration, think of adverts that provoke you to action. Well, that's the format. What about the frame? For the purpose of training, design and delivery, we need to recognise that some learners are extroverted and some are more introverted. This means that some need to obtain information in an environment where they can discuss and talk freely and others learn best where the opportunity to reflect quietly works for them. Both these sides of the frame need to be built into our delivery. We must make ourselves available for clarification of concepts and issues. We must also allow time and space for reflection for the students who integrate new concepts in this quieter way. Two other sides of the frame are also important, thinking and feeling. Some learners are real thinkers, they like the facts, they like your credentials, they like the detail. Others are feelers, which simply means that their relationship to the material and their relationship to the trainer are more important in their integration than the details. This leads us to realise that educators must come across as professional and yet approachable. We must build both the relationship with the learners and also credibility by going into sufficient depth. Practically, if we provide means for discussion and reflection, and if we provide both detail and respect for what the learners believe they want and value, we will keep most of the people happy most of the time. The third phase builds on these first two. Mindset, entrance, and as you recall, we are working through the memory word message, where the next word is S for share ownership, and then moving towards a complete switch of ownership. This phase is all about the transfer of ownership from the teacher to or the trainer to the student or the learner. In the British comedy movie, The Full Monty, there's a scene where the teacher is ineffectively trying to choreograph a simple dance routine. The dance coach loses his temper and looks like he's about to give up in despair. Then one of the learners, reflecting, likens the move to a common football strategy, which he calls the Arsenal offside trap. This use of an analogy captures the imagination of the rest of the learners and they execute the dance move perfectly once they think of it as a football tactic. My point here is that there was a sharing and then a switching of ownership. The moment, the moment, the learners put the content into their own words, their motivation and engagement levels became higher. How can we achieve this in our training delivery? Well, the rule is simple. Anything a learner has to mentally process begins that transfer of ownership. In an age of multiple processors, our minds can be said to run on an intelligent septian processor, a sevenfold processor. It's as if we have seven core processors that help us understand how something is relevant for us. The information comes in through our senses, but it still may not be comprehensible. This phase is where we grasp the relevance for ourselves. 
There are seven ways we process and thus own new learning. Logic and reason. When we think about the logical flow of information or an ideal through to its conclusion, we're using this processor. So let's call it our logic processor, the language processor. This is where we take information that has been presented to us and we reword it in our own terms, as in the movie. 3D processor, almost a graphics card for the brain, where learners make visual links between ideas and information and outputs. Think flowcharts and mind maps. Tactile processor, this is learning by redoing. At the entrance phase, we may learn by having a hands-on demonstration. And this is then the natural next development where the learner has a go for themselves and then learns from their successes and their mistakes. Equally vital. Social processor. Integrating the learning by dialogue or debate. Asking for help and clarification. Reflective processor. Taking time out to reflect on how the learning could be relevant for their perceived needs and applications. That eureka moment when they go, yes, aha. Musical processor, my favourite. Almost the sound card of the brain where music is given an associative meaning to link to the learning. Consider how, for example, many adverts depend upon the association between a great piece of music that they know you're going to love and a great product. Now you might be thinking that the social, reflective, tactile, language and 3D processors seem very similar to the frame and format concepts we met during the entrance phase. And you'd be exactly right. But there is one major difference. The main difference is in the who is doing the doing. When conveying fresh information during the entrance phase, the process is trainer or teacher driven. You decide how to layer the senses. You decide when there will be a discussion or a time for reflection. You decide when to provide detail and when to build the relationships between the learners and the value of the content. During the share and then switch ownership phase, it's all learner-driven. They decide how they want to process the content and thus master it for themselves. Your job is to provide the opportunity. In practice, this means providing a range of activities for the learners to choose from in order to deeply understand and apply the core learning for themselves. Let's give you some examples. If you get them to work through the reasons a pattern of keystrokes will work in a software package and why another set of commands won't work, they have to be integrating the learning using the logic processor. If you let them write out their own set of instructions for certain key features or applications, they will be activating their language processor. If you get them to chart or map out how systems work, they must be applying and activating their 3D graphics processor. If you get them to discuss applications with other learners or ask questions, they will be using their social processor. If you give them time to reflect before describing the importance of an application to them personally, you will be encouraging the use of the reflective processor. And if you ask them to associate their learning with a song or a playlist, they will have launched their musical processor.
Thus, we must make space for them to learn and understand in their own way and at their own pace. All of this accelerates the learning process, but there is a problem with busy learners that we must face head on. They are usually all too busy to continue their application of the learning after the official learning event. This is why the fourth phase, the second S, is so important. The fourth phase is our second S in the word message and it stands for store, placing key information into our short and long-term memories, the RAM and ROM of the mind. The key points of our learning must become sticky like Velcro so that it is easy for them to rapidly recall. Understanding is not enough and comprehension is not the same as memory. This is, again, where we can learn from advertisers. Their mission is simple, to make us aware of the product, to assign a meaning to that product, to remember that product, and to get us to take positive action, all within a tiny time frame. Our mission is the same, and the secret is to build strong, emotive associations, to capture the imagination of our target audience, and to add a pinch of novelty. Practically, it's useful for you to think about what the main matters are. What are the key things the learners must master? What is the heart of your message, its core? Wherever possible, these key points should be grouped into threes and no more. The human mind has an onboard working memory RAM that can cope with up to seven different threads. However, there is always background processing going on, leaving usually a maximum of three threads available for rapid recall. That's it. Threes define the way we spend our time, our lives, our attention. Think yesterday, today, tomorrow. Father, mother, child, sun, moon, stars, beginning, middle and end, and even work, rest and play. This is a natural organising principle of mind, so let's brand our key points home in clusters of threes. Let's also use clear summary images to capture their imagination. And let's add something unusual. Let's grab their attention with something that's novel, new, appealing, exciting. So they've received all the training required, they've processed it, and they've made it their own. They've even remembered the core points. What's next? Well, it's all pointless without clear action. And this is the fifth phase of the message model. Action is the key. And the key number is three. Always make clear the kinds of action your learners can take next as a result of their discoveries. This can be phrased like this. Most learners have discovered that there are three easy and immediate applications of what they've learned on this module. Then you can spell out these actions. Within the context of a learning event, there is a specific action I regularly make space for. This is some kind of quiz or game show to achieve two clear results. Firstly, to help the learners convince themselves that they really have learned something new and valuable. This boosts their confidence, which is the engine of sustained action. 
Secondly, for us. We need to verify for ourselves, as educators, that the message really has taken root, that they've got it. So what quizzes or game shows could you model so that you could add to your training intervention that spice that gives an opportunity for the learners to catch themselves getting it right? The final two phases, face the future. Phase six is go again, phase seven engage. Phase six, go again. This reflects the way that long-term memories are laid down in our minds. Without the transfer to long-term memory, our learners are unlikely to translate their initial actions or their initial enthusiasm into ongoing good regular working habits. It's not enough that they leave our learning experience enthused, inspired. They need to take that long-term action. So there are three R's that make sure this happens. And they all involve going again over the memory traces, strengthening them each time. R for review, R for reflection, and R, the most powerful R, R for rehearsal. One of the great secrets to the flow state of excellence in life is rehearsed spontaneity, making it look spontaneous, but based on so much rehearsed action that the flow becomes second nature. R for review then. As the orchestrator of the learning experience, you may be in a fantastic position to schedule regular reviews and updates after the main learning event. This will keep the core ideas in sight, in mind, rather than a common cliche, out of sight, out of mind. The best follow-up review sequence is next day, in a week, in a month, and finally after three months. Then is R for reflection, some kind of reflective practice really helps the embedding of learning into long-term memory. This could be managed through cleverly worded question and answer sessions that dovetail with the review schedule. You can set challenges that will encourage reflection, ask the right questions. R for rehearsal. There are usually many ways to set post-program tasks where they can rehearse their new skills, perhaps on a project that has to be submitted as part of the accreditation process. In this way, you can direct attention to some of the most beneficial applications of learning by choosing projects which emphasize those. Finally, we must set our sights truly into the future. The last letter of message is E for engage. Just like an engagement ring is a pledge of a future commitment, a pledge of future promise, are looking forward to future delights. So also our learners must commit to their long-term future application of learning after the three-month review period. Psychologically, we know how we can set learners up for ongoing success, and I want to share that with you. They can have rewards for their efforts through a process called creating memories of the future. And it's based on research from the University of Lund in Sweden. The discovery is profound. When we are awake and daydreaming, and when we're asleep and dreaming, we consistently run possible future scenarios through our minds. Even though these scenarios are to do with the future, they can only be stored in the past of our memory banks. Hence the interesting phrase, memories of the future. However, this is where it gets more exciting. Since our memories of the future are largely responsible for creating our future, 
Since we humans are unable to consciously monitor everything that's going on around us all the time, we have to delete, filter out most of the sensory stimuli from the environment around us and most of our internal thoughts. So how do we decide what to pay attention to and what to ignore? This is where the memories of the future come in. They act as recognition tags. And when we search through the sensory data coming into our nervous system, anything that matches an imagined future tag then flags up our attention. It lifts our levels of awareness. So what? Well, if we can help our learners clearly construct a concept of the future in which they can imagine using what they've learned in a specific set of scenarios, well then, their own attention will be dramatically drawn automatically to every future opportunity to apply their learning successfully. You set them up for success. This can easily be achieved by concluding the official learning with an explicit discussion of where various aspects of the learning expect to be applied, and when or under what circumstances. In this way, we set up our learners for ongoing future success. In review then, let's re-examine the message word, the System 7 approach. In mindset, we're creating the ideal mindset and the ideal mind setting for learning to occur. We're passionate and we're end training and our participants are relaxed yet aware in a high-energy environment with low threat. During the entrance phase, we focus on formatting and framing. We format the learning by layering as many sensory channels as is practical, giving the maximum number of gateways through which the ideas may gain entrance. We also frame the learning so that we pay attention to both quiet reflection and noisy debate exquisite detail and relationship building. When the learners have all the components they need, we then take a back seat and move into the share and switch ownership phase. Here we must make space for their own intelligences to interact with the material using their own logic, language, imagination and associations to make the learning personal to them. Having understood and personalised the relevance of the learning, we then need to make sure the core points are sticky enough for rapid recall when and where needed. Thus we call this the store phase. Action is the key, so providing quizzes and other tests of competence that build learner confidence are the order of the day during the action phase. For long-term recall and application to be assured, we must then go again over the memory traces until they become second nature and thus habit. This means making sure there is reflection, review and rehearsal after the initial training event. Ideally, this takes place after a day, a week, a month and a season of three months. Finally, we create the likelihood of ongoing future success by using our imaginations to work through future scenarios where the application of the learning will be of value, will be rewarded. All in all, this is a very powerful way for you to get across your message. Thank you for listening.